Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. So, Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you allow us to receive your word today. Let us retain it in our hearts. Let us apply what we need to apply. And God, just keep our hearts softened and melted for you so that we can be obedient to you. Remove all the things that are inside of us that offend you so that we can be at our best. God, please allow us to walk, <coughs> excuse me, to walk into righteousness and be obedient to your Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for filling me up. I ask that you lead me in this discussion. Allow me to discuss what I need to today. And don't let me forget anything. The most important thing, God, please allow your will to be done. Not our will, but your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is still in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me. I do have allergies and stuff today, you guys. So, excuse me if I have sniffles. Um, I'm having these allergies again. It's the seasonal weather. So, that occurs a lot. Not just with me, but with a lot of people. So, um, today I'm going to be continuing on in the discussion of women's health. Specifically, uh, transitioning to talking about um, women and submissiveness and how we could be more like Sarah, Abraham's wife. So I know I kind of shifted a little bit. Um, well, last Friday, I talked about, uh, what was it? We were talking about, um, I think it was entitlement or no, not entitlement. That was on uh, Thursday and two, last Tuesday. So we were, I was talking about, you know, storytelling, you telling your story, um, giving your testimony and, and how your testimony, I'm sorry, how your testimony can really impact the lives of other people. Because what happens, it creates vulnerable communication. And so when you're in an environment where there is so much sort of strain on communication, there is communication barriers because some people are offended by something that was said to them um so many times when you're in an environment where it doesn't have inclusivity that creates vulnerability then you're not so receptive to contribute to that conversation so it's important to be able to tell stories because what that does it activates the oxytocin in our body which is the love hormone, right? This is how we connect with other people, you know? So when you hear a, a story that resonates with your life, you're like, oh, you know, I can connect. I understand. So that activates oxytocin. And that is the way that we connect with other people. So last week we heard Julian Friedman. He talked about, <coughs> he talked about specifically telling the story and connecting with your audience and he really used a lot he conveyed a lot of um different examples of other people and how they tell their stories but really you telling your story and you giving your testimony it gives glory to god we see in the book of job and how job when he received the message from all of his uh servants like one messenger after the next messenger you know they were telling him how he lost everything 
but he fell down and he shaved his head. Well, he shaved his head. He fell down and worshiped God because he knew that God isn't somebody who can disappoint you. Yes, God does allow certain things to occur, similar to the things that happened in Job's life. Job lost everything that he had. And then his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, what type of wife, since we're talking about women's health today, let's think about the wife of Job, for instance. So I want to go to that scripture and then I'm going to reflect on Sarah and being submissive. Okay. So let's talk about Job's, um, hold on, I'm going to pull this scripture up. So we're going to go to Job chapter two, verse nine through 11. It says, now this is after Job have lost basically everything. His, all 12 of his kids died. He lost all of his land with his animals, all his livestock, everything. And he was a very wealthy man in the land. And so, and when we fast forward, after he praises God, fall to the, he shaves his head, fall to the ground, praise God. So remember, we we have to remember what the word perfect is. So let me go um here, and I want to reflect on the the word perfect. Okay, <clears throat> give me one second. I have to um pull this up. So let's reflect on the word perfect okay so let's look here the word perfect so the word perfect in hebrew it is strong's number 8535 which is tam the word tam it basically means to be mature in thought and action. And so Job, we see he was mature in thought and action. That's what the word perfect means. And so when we look at the book of Job, what happened was, see, Job was found perfect in God's sight. And with him being perfect, that means that he was mature in thought and action, which is the word Tam, Hebrew word Tam. Job was perfect because of the fact that even though he had lost everything that he had, everything, Job lost everything that he had. Job 2, we're going to go to Job 2, 9 through 11. Job lost everything he had. But what he did do is he prayed for his friends. And God blessed him with twice as much. So when we see the book of Job, when you read the book of Job, Job was a weeper. He basically like weeped and cried about everything that was going on. He was just weeping and weeping every day. He was weeping and weeping and weeping. And so like he gave his stories to his friends he just kept telling his story over and over again. Let's let's look at some of the uh, things that Job said. Let's just look at some of the things he said. 
because he said so much stuff. All right. Let's go to, um, for instance, let's go to Job chapter five in verse six. It said for hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. So what he's saying here is like, look, you know, hardship don't just come from no place. It had to already been rooted there. So let's look at this scripture again. Joel chapter five, verse six, for hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. So what this scripture is telling us is problems are not just going to come at the surface. So you got to look below the iceberg. The, the iceberg shows you the things that you cannot see above surface. So all of these outside attributes and all of these external qualities that some people have, yeah, they, they seem nice and they seem good. But what's below the iceberg? What's embedded in the person? So these hardships that sometimes are being produced and reproduced through recycling of sometimes many mistakes. So you have recycled mistakes that people go through and they equate to hardships. And so you have these hardships that the scripture is saying, look, they're not springing just from the soil. Like they didn't just erupt all of a sudden on top of the soil. They didn't just come out on the surface. They've already been rooted within the soil. That means that whatever's in you has already been planted in you. So we have these pre-existing thoughts and belief systems and they kind of shape our ideological perspectives in a way where, you know, they can influence a decision that can create a hardship or it can sprout blessings. Or it can, it can sprout troubles. So your pre-existing thoughts and belief systems is what's below the surface. And then it's then demonstrated how through your actions, reactions, your recycled mistakes, your recycled um, successes. So you have all of these different things. But... <clears throat> oh, excuse me. We see that hardship does not spring, just spring from the soil. <clears throat> it is already, it's already planted there. So, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. So these problems are not just going to sort of erupt and appear out of nowhere. They were already embedded in you so what you believe it's already embedded in you for instance i've talked about how some people believe that love is pain love is not pain but that's embedded in their hearts that's embedded in their minds so uh you know excuses are permanent there are actually permanent conditions and so when people have these excuses in life and they make excuses, it leads them to having hardships. It leads them to having troubles. It leads them to, 
you know, um, just it leads them outside of truths. So, for instance, you can't get to work because your car isn't working. But are your legs working where you can walk to get to where you're going? Can, do you have the ability to get on the bus? Can you go on the bus? Can you ask the bus driver, I'm trying to get to work. Can I get on, please? I don't have any money. Is there anything that I could do for work? Go to the gas station. Go to stores. Ask people, do you have a job that I could do? And I could do any extra work here. So it's like not making excuses because excuses are permanent. They equate to hardships and troubles. And so it's so important to see here that Job is telling his story. Job tells his story all the way. Okay, like several, several chapters. That's all you hear is Job just, Job just telling his story. Job just constantly just continues to weep over and over. And he just keep weeping and weeping and weeping about everything. Job just weeping. That's all you hear. But he's telling the story and he describes these stories to his friend, all the way up into the point where Job submits to the Lord in Job chapter 42. So you have you have about 40 chapters where Job is just weeping. He's telling his story. He's giving his testimony. So in chapter 42, we see that Job submits to the Lord. But before I get to that part, I was trying to read about his wife. So we're going to go to Job chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. So in um, this chapter, verse 9, chapter Job 2, 9, 11, his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. So <laughs> if Job had not went through all of these situations that he endured. He would have not had known that he had the type of wife that he had. He would not have known that she was, she's, she's being his wife, reaping the blessings that's coming down from heaven over Job. She's reaping all of these blessings that come from God. But soon as the time of reckoning comes, she's belling ship and she's telling him to curse God and die. So if it wasn't for Job experiencing all of those things that he've experienced, he would not have known what type of wife that he had. She's saying, curse God and die. She, she has literally reaped all of these benefits in a marriage. He's the richest man. He's perfect in God's sight. They have everything. He owns so much land, so much livestock. He's wealthy, extremely beyond wealth. So all of the things that actually contributed to their wealthiness and happiness and all of these things, these external pleasures that were satisfying her life, soon as the time of reckoning take place. <coughs> Excuse me. As soon as when we go back to Job 5, 
Job 5 and 6, for hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. So we see, fast forward, that Job is saying, look, the, these hardships are, this stuff isn't just going to sprout out. This These feelings that his wife have, this was rooted in her. Th these are some things that already were embedded in her. See, like I said at the beginning, hardships are not, they don't just appear on the soil, like in Job chapter five and verse six. They're already rooted. They're already planted. So what a person feel about you, that, that their feelings for you has already been there. <clears throat> and the things that she did, she didn't support her husband. That wasn't a helpmate. But she participated in reaping all of the benefits that was supplied by God. Because God is the one who blessed Job. God is the one who gave Job everything that he had. Which is why the devil was jealous. He was jealous. See, you have to understand. See, Satan is upset because of the fact that God made humans. And that he gave humans a choice. And he died for humans. So Jesus is 100% man and 100% God manifesting himself into the flesh. But before that even happened, see, Jesus wasn't even here during the time of Job. But so just to move forward, the devil was upset with, with you know, God's creation. He gave, he created these people and then gave them dominion over the earth. What? Like, that's how the devil looking at it. So he goes outside the gates of heaven and he's bargaining with God over Job's soul. Like, the only reason why Job worshiped you is because you blessed him with everything. You've given him everything that he needs. But as soon as you take that away from him, he is going to curse you. I can promise you that. Basically, that's how the devil was talking to God. That's exactly what he was saying to God. He went outside the gates of heaven bargaining with God over Job's soul. So, after Job loses everything, his support system. See, we as women, we are supposed to be the support system, right? The man is the head. So, we're supposed to be the helpmate to the head. In, in 1 Corinthians 11 through 3, the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So, understanding this, how can this be his support? I mean, have you ever went through a situation in your life where like you, you're going through everything and it's so painful and you're like, Leading to having emotional numbness. You don't have any support. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, when you down, nobody want to be there. But when you're up, it's like your phone can't stop ringing. Like, am I a celebrity? I feel like I'm a celebrity. My phone ringing my emails who emails a person i have to be a celebrity 
But as soon as you go through something similar to Job, losing everything, nobody is going to be there. Even his own wife. Thank you for the love. I appreciate that so much. Even his own wife. She goes and she, instead of being a support system, apparently, well, who, who planted her? She says, curse God and die. So guess what? Job would not have known the type of wife that he was dealing with if he had not endured those adversities. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you. So he would not have known the, the type of wife that he had if he didn't go through those um, adversities. So he had to go through those adversities. And I believe that part of the reason why God allowed Satan to like do that because Satan was, I mean, Satan wanted to, he thought that he could, see, the devil doesn't know the behavior of what God's children will be. But God knows what our behavior will be. And so that's why a lot of people don't seem to understand. See, Satan, he wants to tempt people, but God, see, he knows his children. That's why the Bible says that God's children, we hear his voice and we follow him, right? So God knew that Joe was mature. We see in his immediate behavior, his immediate response was to fall down and worship God after losing everything. And so his support system, his, his wife, the person that is supposed to be the beacon of support, especially specifically during trial and error, she says, curse God and die. So during the time of reckoning, she just basically abandons ship. She forgets everything that she just had going on in her life that was distributed to her from God. So, yeah, see, Satan, he, he probably knew that he could get the wife to curse God. But, see, he didn't know if Joel would curse God. See, but God knew. And so we have to understand that, see, God knows what is best for us. So we're going through experience. And yes, we have adversities. And yes, we choose the wrong spouses. But God allows us to go through certain things, just like how Job went through things. So, so many people, they wonder why. Well, why does God let this happen? And why does God let that happen? Did you know that if you had not went through that experience, you would not have the knowledge that you have today? You wouldn't have the knowledge that you have today about the people that you know, about the colleagues that you work with about your network system, about your business partners. See, trial and error, it creates perseverance. Perseverance leads to having longevity. And, and so let's, let's go to this scripture. I want to look at another scripture here. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, here we go. So we're going to go to, let's go to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Okay, this is the NIV version. I actually love looking at multiple versions, but today I'm just going to focus primarily on the NIV. So we see that not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. See, this, this scripture equates to so many different things in our lives. No one is exempt from suffering. You may have a little bit of, you know, you may suffer just from a loss. You know, you may suffer from from uh, losing your job or, you know, maybe failing in school. Or it could be, you know, a friendship that went sour. Whatever reason it may be, we all suffer. No one is exempt from suffering. So not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put a, thank you so much for the love. I appreciate that. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what I'd like to talk about, let's let's talk about this um, perseverance. I, I just have to go on to this perseverance because having perseverance was something that Job's wife, she escaped from. She didn't want perseverance. As soon as trouble came, she bailed. She said, forget God and everybody else. Everything, everything. It's just curse God. Just my curse God and die. Her pain was so strong that she could not. She 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 I guess she couldn't encourage him. And so, you know, it's important to study the Bible from um, hermeneutics. And so hermeneutics is studying the word of God through exegesis. That means that we read exactly what the word says and we can provide examples to it. Eisegesis is reading into the word. So, for instance, if I wanted to try to figure out what Job's wife did after she made that statement to him, what is it that where did she did she learn from her mistake? You know, was she upset about losing her? Well, clearly, we probably, we know that she was hurt. Those were her children, too. So all of the pain that he experienced, she experienced. But instead of her understanding things from his perspective, she was looking at life from her perspective, not from God's perspective. <coughs> <coughs> and so when you look at things from your perspective that can cause punitive damages to happen in your life spiritually and also physically so when we look at the word perseverance it is um, so I'm going to look this up through the Strong's Concordance and let me just briefly explain what the Strong's Concordance is. And I know I do this every single time, but 
for the sake of newcomers, because I if there's about there are 896 people in here today. And so that's some new people that have come in. And so it's important to make sure that everyone can, you know, follow along and understand what the Strong's is. So I'm going to briefly explain the Strong's Concordance. Okay. So the Strong's Concordance is comprised of two testaments. One is the Old Testament and the other is the New Testament. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew scrolls. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so you have these two um, different testaments. The Old Testament, the first five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is considered the Torah, right? So the Torah is also the law. The law is what God made. And so that's in the first five books of the Bible. So we see in Exodus chapter 20, that is where God implements the law of the Ten Commandments. So now we fast forward into the New Testament. We see the first four books of the, oh, the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's considered the Gospels. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is from the book of Malachi on to the book of Matthew, there is a 400-year time period where God did not speak to his children. So that is considered the silent period. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the silent period where God did not speak. But guess what it means when God doesn't speak? God is saying, look, I've raised you up. I've given you the Torah. He's given you the law. He's given us everything. It's just meant for us to follow the rules. Pay attention. We know as children of God what we're supposed to do. So although God did not speak for 400 years during the silent period, what that showed us was that God wants us to still be obedient to what he's already told us to do in his, the Torah. So the, the, the law, which is given, in, given to us in the first five books of the Bible, it tells us what to do. So from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, we see that there is a 400-year silent period where God didn't speak. But God has already given us his word through the Torah. He's given us his law. So when God is silent in your life, it doesn't mean that you deviate from the plan. God has given you purpose. He's gifted you with purpose. He's gifted you with his will and his plan. So what that means is that just because he's silent, don't mean that you deviate from the plan. You still stay the course. So we see that the strong Concordance is able to provide us with the translations of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Bible is considered the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Old Testament being the Hebrew Scrolls, the New Testament being Greek, right? Then you have the 400 year time period of silence from when God did not speak. You have the Gospels, which is in the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
So we see the life of Jesus and we can understand the life of Jesus there. And so the Strong's Concordance interprets, it translates all of the Hebrew and all of the Greek for us. So the Strong's Concordance is comprised of hundreds of scholars who are actually um, uh, theologists. And so they study the word of God. They, they either speak Hebrew and they speak Greek. Okay, so they interpret it for us. And so what happens, <coughs> excuse me, oh, these allergies, God, please take them away, Lord Jesus, Jesus. So um, you have, basically you have um, in, the, in the New Testament, we see the life of Jesus. Uh, where he's 100% God and 100% man. But while Jesus was here on earth, he began his ministry when he was 30 years old. So what happened was he sits, he's there and he did not use any of his godly powers to defend himself whatsoever. Okay. We see that in the Quran, they always compares Jesus Christ to Muhammad. But I talked about this too, where Muhammad is a man that admitted to having sin. And Jesus Christ is a man that was God that did not have any sin. So moving forward into the life of Jesus and understanding him, we can find about the life of Jesus in the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so he was crucified, specifically crucified by his own people, which are the Jews. Okay. So the Jews crucified him. And then the Romans authorized the crucifixion. So the Roman Catholic Church has a lot to do with, you know, the lost books. And so, you know, it's always going to be a different story, which is something that I've been talking about Friday. And then I talked about it on Thursday about telling your story in a testimony. So, excuse me, you see that the Roman Catholic Church, yes, they have a story to tell. They're always going to have a story. Like, who, who don't have a story when they authorize the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? So, the Romans authorized the crucifixion. And then Jesus, the, the Jews, the religious Pharisees, the, the chief priests of the law, they are the ones who crucified Jesus. So let's not forget that. Because when we when we fast forward to the book of Revelation chapter 3 and 9, it talks about how they claim to be Jews, but really are from the church of Satan. So these Jews are going to come about somewhere. They're, they're a part of prophetic word. So reverting back, we see that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. Then he he took the keys from Satan because, because of our condemnation to sin. The law couldn't justify our actions. Meaning that even though we were provided with the Torah and the law that, that God gave us, it was correct. But because of the sinful hearts of men, our sinful nature, 
We couldn't maintain the principles and the practices of the law because it was a constant continuation of sinful behaviors. So Jesus, he had to come back. He had to come and, and atone for our sinful nature. So we see here where talk, Paul talks about, like, I want to do good. I want to do good, right? Let's let's go to this scripture here. We're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. And so it says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So he said, basically, he, he wants to do the right thing. But he can't do the right thing. So in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So when he do the things that he don't want to do, like said, he, he want to do good things. And, and when he do those good things, he know that the law, it makes him good. Like, okay, so I'm being obedient. And, and so since the law influenced me to do good, I can do good. So the law gets me to do good. But in verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. So it's sin that kind of forces him to keep wanting to sin. So he at war with himself. But it isn't just Paul at war. We all are at war. So for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He can't carry it out. Why can't he carry it out? Because of the sinful nature. So in verse 19, it says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. See, he, he said he, he say it's so contradictory. It's ambiguous. He said, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So he keep on doing the evil because the flesh is always going to want to be fulfilled. Whenever you have control over your flesh, you have God inside of you. Because you can't control the desires of your flesh without God being inside of you. So your flesh is always going to want to satisfy itself and fulfill itself. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Oh, I want to have sex. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I want to drink. So I'm going to drink. I want to smoke. So I'm going to smoke. I want to go shopping, so I'm going to shop. I want to cheat, so I'm going to cheat. I want this house, so I'm going to buy this house. Oh, I like that car because it's nice. I like the way it looks. I'm going to buy it. The flesh is always 
always going to want to satisfy its desires. It's a continuation. It's a non-stop influence of fulfilling its own desires. The only way to withdraw from those desires is through intervention. So the intervention was Jesus Christ. So we have the Torah, which is the law. It gives us the ability to do us good, but it doesn't give us the ability to overcome the fulfillment of our desires. So in verse 20, it says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So you see in verse 16 that he agreed that the law is good only when I do what I do not want to do. The law makes him do good when he can do what he don't want to do. But how long does that last? So that doesn't last. So when we're looking back here, going back to Romans 5, 3 and 5 and understanding what the concordance is saying, I, I'm looking up, I looked up perseverance. So we see that Jesus had to go take the keys of death from Satan because guess what? The law couldn't sanctify or provide salvation because of our sinful nature. You see, like the religious Pharisees, they were constantly here and they were always in Jesus face telling him what he shouldn't do. Like how I talked about last week, how he healed the man with the withered hand and he replaced his hand. See, God used his godly powers to heal the sick and raise the dead and to provide. Not to benefit himself. Not to satisfy his own desires. Not to let go of death. Not to resist death from upon him. Not to stop the beating. Because see, in Isaiah 53 and 5, it says that he was bruised for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So what we understand is that, so Jesus had to come to atone for our automatic death to sin. Because the law can't provide salvation. Because of the burning desires that lurks within us. That constantly needs to be fulfilled. So. Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. Now he has the keys of death from Satan. So now, guess what? His blood now provides salvation. That's the debt. See, the union between Satan and, and, and Eve happened in the Garden of Eden. So the, the devil got the keys of death because... They were no longer blessed with life, eternal life. See, there were two trees in the garden, and I've been talking about this all week. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But they didn't choose the tree of life. That's why they got kicked out of out of the Garden of Eden. Because they could have ate from the tree of life and then they would have had eternal life. So Eve, that's when she allowed evil to fill her up. So God clothed them with skin because they were a living soul, a living spirit. So they, be, they became clothed with skin, but they were still filled up with good and evil. So they have the ability to always produce good and evil. So every person has good and evil on the inside of them. But once you are once you receive salvation, I pray that you all can still hear me. Okay. If you cannot hear me, just let me know because my phone was ringing. And I've already said that I cannot put the podcast on my laptop because it has an echo on my microphone. So I always have to stay on the podcast on my phone. So moving forward from this is that, you know, like, so they were filled with good and evil. And with them being filled with good and evil, they have the ability to always produce good or always produce bad evil. So Jesus Christ's death on the cross. See, when he died on the cross, he died with the Holy Spirit because, see, his cousin John the Baptist baptized him and, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. So he had the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people, they really don't understand the Trinity, but it's so simple to understand. You go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, and then you go back to John 10, 30. The Father and I are one in John 10, 30. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, it says the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. So we understand that God being the Father, the Word, which is... Which is um. It means logos, logos in uh, Greek, and it, it means the Christ. So Jesus Christ, the son, and then you have the Holy Spirit. So once you receive, once you acknowledge and accept that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he was crucified and resurrected on the cross, then you will receive salvation because you have faith and believe in God now. So the thing is, is that now you've received salvation but you need to have, you need to be born again. That means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit. So once you have access to the Holy Spirit, then you have access to God. So the Bible talks about it, in order for you to get to the Father, you have to come through the Son, which is Jesus Christ. So the Father is the head. The Son, you have three, you have three persons within the Holy Trinity, three entities. The Father, which is God. The Son, which is the word Logos, right? Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. So in order to be able to really commune and understand Jesus, you need to be equipped with the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you get to God is through Jesus Christ. So you get it, you understand. So it's separate, but they're all equal. They're all one. It's the same mystery that many people don't understand that a husband leaves his father and mother and is united unto his wife and the two become one flesh. So going back to this, we see Jesus is, is crucified. He resurrects. He takes the keys from Satan. Now he's on earth for 40 days. 
He's talking to the disciples. He talks to the people that doubt him, doubting Thomas. He, you know, uh, and the religious Pharisees are still adamant about, they are, they have, they are really dissident and really, really spreading the word that Jesus resurrected. So they're, they're, they're saying, don't, don't spread the message that he was resurrected. They wanted to silence the people that was saying that Jesus resurrected. So what happens now is that, so Jesus, he resur he, he's ascended into heaven. 10 days later, he sends the Holy Spirit down on the apostles. They became drunk with the Holy Spirit. So we see that during this entire span, Jesus' ministry, 30 years old, he dies at 33. He's crucified. He's crucified at the, at the, the, um, on the cross. But guess what? He only, it was only him in the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? God, although, although, see, see, Jesus was silent. And yes, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But he did not use his ability to use any of his godly power. So God, the father, allowed him to go through things of the flesh. But he had access to the Holy Spirit. Because remember, John the Baptist baptized him. And he received the Holy Spirit. So now we can know that we can be in the flesh. And as long as we have access to the Holy Spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We can overcome whatever it is in this world. Because Jesus Christ, he exemplified that for us. So that's why he said on the cross, my God, my God, why, why have thou forsaken me? See, it was at that moment there that he's saying this so that the listeners can hear. See, you have to understand the mystery that is behind the scripture. You have to understand that this word is being spoken to for people to hear it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're going to be going through things in life where you're going to feel like God has forsaken you. This is why God says to honor that mother and that father, because the relationship that you build with your parents will determine the relationship that you have with God. See, your parents may not be there for you when you, when they want you to, when you want them to, God might not be there when you want him to either. Your parents ain't going to always answer the phone when you need something. God not going to always answer you either, but he's not ignoring you. What he's doing is being silent, allowing you to take on the, the maturity that he's taught you. And he's giving you the opportunity to maintain it. Because guess what? You're not learning the word of God from an elementary perspective. You're not on baby formula. You should understand the word of God in a way where you're mature. You're beyond college level. You're a higher ed, right? That's how we should all be in understanding the word of God. So he's saying this. Jesus is saying this for everyone to hear. And, and including God. But specifically, his death on the cross is for everyone that's here. 
It's a message for the people that's here. The atonement of his blood was for everyone that's here on earth, for his children. So he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He wants you to hear this. You're going to be going through things in the flesh. Like what he did, but not as worse as him. Because the same people that was spitting on him, the same people that was beating him, he died on the cross for them. I hear a lot of people say, see, uh-uh, see, I don't forgive like God. Well, then, don't walk around acting like God is in you then. Because you are to be like God. We are not God, we, but we are supposed to be like God. God. So that means that I, I, I'm going to think like God. I'm going to act like God. I'm going to respond to things like God. I'm going to react to like God. I'm going to think I'm going to have a man like God. That's what they mean. So so he is ascended into heaven. He says the Holy Spirit. We have access to the Holy Spirit. So that's what we find out in the, in the Gospels. But to fully understand the word of God, we need to understand it from Hebrew and also in Greek. So I study a lot of Hebrew through the Hebrew scrolls and also in Greek. So we look at the word perseverance. For instance, when we look at the word perfect in Hebrew, we have the word perfect in, in the Bible written 94 different times. And it has 23 different meanings. But we know for sure that the word perfect in Hebrew is what? It is Strong's number 8535, which means 10. It means perfect. It's defined as mature in thought and nature. So the next time I talk about you being perfect, yes, you say, yes, I'm mature. I am perfect because I'm mature. I'm mature in nature and I'm mature in thought. So if we, when we reflect on Hebrew, we don't look at the dictionary because the dictionary is secular. This word of God is spiritual. All right. So we're looking at this from what it says. So the word perseverance coming out of Romans chapter five, verses three through five. I looked up the word perseverance. It's only mentioned one time in the Bible. And that is in the New Testament. In the in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. So it has one meaning and one lexicon number. So each word in the Bible has its own Hebrew word or Greek word. And it also has its own Hebrew number, which is a Strong's number. Or Greek number, which is also a Strong's number. But they are all lexicon words and lexicon numbers. Okay, so looking at this number for perseverance, it is Strong's number 1519, which means it's pronounced ice. Ice. So perseverance is the point reached or entered of place, time, or purpose. This is your result. So it is abundant, abundantly against among back backward before by concerning continual far more exceeding for intent purpose forth so this this is the result 
So perseverance is the result. So <coughs> looking at this scripture again, Romans 5, 3 and 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So we look at Job. We're going to look at Job again. Let's see. Let's see if he, this, and see, Job is in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew, okay, the Hebrew scrolls. But we're looking at Romans. That's the New Testament. That's in Greek. This is over a 400-year time span, and it still applies because guess what? God reaffirms and confirms his word, okay? So Job, we're going to look at Job falls falls to the ground he falls to the ground job chapter 1 verse 20 and 22 so after job has heard all of this job chapter 1 verse 20 and 22 at this job got up tore his robe and shaved his head then he fell to the ground in worship and said Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So looking at the looking at this entire book right here, the, the entire chapter, uh Job chapter one. Job, let's look at the messages that came to Job. It says, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a, a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So I know I kind of read this Bible back, the, the, the book of Job a little backwards, starting from verse four, chapter 42 and how he prayed for his friends. But it gives you a... a indication of what job did so job heard all of this and he tore up his robe shaved his head and worshiped so you have to understand that when you're going through experiences in your life and you're going through these adversities. You may hear one bad story after the next. It's all of this happening. You being attacked. It's like, ah, uh, one problem after the next. And another problem after that. And it's another one that's coming right after. But you have to understand the same things that happened with Job. It still is taking place in everybody else's lives. The problem is, th this is why I was so descriptive. In providing the story about Job is to specifically talk about his wife.
See, it is so, so, so difficult to let go of things. So I was listening to, um, I had online church yesterday. I didn't actually get a chance to fully listen to the entire, um, the, the entire message until today. So when I heard the message, I was on a uh, story life church with past Apollo white ministries and, uh, uh, pastor Brad's wife was up there and she was talking about the fig tree. So God was, they, they had walked past this fig tree, um, uh, Jesus and the disciples. And, and so God had Jesus cursed the fig tree. Because see the figs on the fig tree only had leaves. It didn't have any any like it wasn't producing any fruits. So God cursed it. So that that's a clear indication that when God doesn't want something in your life, He will allow certain things to take place in your life. So this wife of Job, she reaped all the benefits. She she had everything. She had everything that she wanted. But the only support that she gave him was her dissident saying, curse God and die. Just go ahead and curse God and die. So he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin. And what he said. See, it's about looking at this book and reading it and understanding that it was about Job's reaction. This man is mature. He's perfect, mature in nature and thought. So it's about his reaction. It's about his actions. The only your support system may not be your support. They may be telling you, you might as well go sell drugs then. That's your only option. Oh, just forget about her. She ain't worth nothing. Why? Why you trying to? Why you trying to mess with that girl? Don't wife that girl. But you've been with her for ten years, fifteen years, and you still not ready to marry her because you you're sitting there listening to people who don't have a clue about life. So you understand when you're seeing that God wants to remove people out of your life. Problems, yes, problems may happen in your life. Yes, you're going to experience adversity. Like Job did. With his wife telling him to curse God and die. But see, if Job didn't go through those experiences, he would not have known what type of wife he had. So many of the experiences that you're going through, just don't ever forget that God allows you to go through those experiences because you, if you, if it had not had been for those experiences, you would not have the knowledge that you have today. Neither would you have the ability to have discernment with your network, with your family members and, and understand who they really are to you. So it's really about, can you still go through things in life and react in a way where you can still praise God, you still love God, and you still believe and worship him? So as, so as a woman of, of God, it's so important for us not to talk foolish, 
No matter what we're experiencing or going through in our life, we have to make sure that we're keeping God included in our choices and our decisions. So, yes, this was foolish what she was saying. And yet she probably went through an experience herself. But that is not for us to evaluate. God has given us his word and we are to look at what he said in his word and read his word for what it says. Apparently her experiences didn't make the details for us to read. So that was for a specific reason. But we see in all of this, Job did not say it in what he said, okay? So kind of like uh moving moving forward from this. Okay, let's look at uh I wanted to look at I believe I had already talked about this one last week. I think I think I did. Let me see here. So what I want to do is talk about, I want to go back to Sarah, because I was supposed to finish up last week with Sarah, Abraham's wife. So let's look at this. Thank you all for holding. So I'm just waiting on this screen to pop up so I can pull up the verses that I have already generated for Sarah. Okay. 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 All right. Here we go. So last week, I just want to do a, a basic, a little recap. So last week I talked about Eve and I kind of transitioned into entitlement and how our expectations can cause us to fail because we should not place our expectations in people because people will fail you right and failure repeated failures they do equate to success but not with people so god says not to put your trust in men who are mere humans who have nothing but who have a breath so what we should be doing is putting our trust in god so we i talked about eve and how she's a, the life giver in the first woman so Eve was the first woman to dominate a man. She also made Adam give up his position as head of the house so that he would listen to her and eat from the forbidden tree that God had commanded them not to eat from. So Adam was the first man to have passivity, which is submissiveness to, to a woman. She was easily enticed and beguiled by the serpent. But Adam was created in God's image. Although woman was derived from man, taken out of the man's the man woman was derived from man we see this in genesis 2 21 and 23 the
The woman was deceived and, and convinced the man to follow in the deception of her pleasures. So she really, really only ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because she thought it was pleasing to her eye. And so we as women should make sure that we do a good job of resisting the things that we find or the, the things that we think appears to be nice. So we learn from Eve that we should, you know, withdraw our focus from the things that may be pleasing to our eyes. Don't focus on the external pleasures. Right? And so what we should be focusing on is those internal qualities. So the word rule is in Strong's number 4910 and is pronounced in Hebrew as Moshal which uh, means to have dominion. So God gave us dominion and allowed us to govern, to basically be the governor over everything. Although Eve was created to be a helpmate, Eve is the mother to all of those that continue to be disobedient to God because of their desires to please self. So it's always about self-generation. Um, and women are always going to want to satisfy self first. We see this through Eve. So it's so, it's imperative. It's so important to make sure that we're able to just um, have propitious outcomes that will lead us to, you know, just being relatable in a way where we're not relating to the things that Eve does. So for instance, okay, uh you're married and you want to go shopping but instead of you asking your husband like okay babe this is what i want to i want to spend this amount of money you just go shopping so it isn't about you respecting your shared account with your spouse even though it's your money it's about respect being valued over your desires so can you have respect for someone else over your own desires? And so like Eve will most likely just go shopping, right? And I'm just saying uh, Eve type of quality because it's not about being submissive. It isn't about the respect over your desires, respecting your spouse over your own desires and not wastefully spending seeking the approval discussing things well relationship is a collaboration it's also in incorporates um negotiation compromise it it entails it integrates self-reflexivity how can you identify the things that you're contributing to your situation how are you contributing to the progress of your marriage how are you contributing to the progress of your relationship or how are you causing your marriage to decline how are you contributing to the decline of your relationship so it's all about contri contribution so we see that having respect for your spouse should be valued over satisfying your desires. We see that that's what should have happened with Eve, but that didn't. So going moving forward with Sarah, right? 
And I think I'm going to just finish this tomorrow because I I have extreme allergies right now. I need to get <coughs> I need to get some medicine. So, and I'm going to take me some tea because I'm not feeling that good. Okay? Um So, I'm going to continue on about Sarah tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? I was halfway done with Sarah but I'm just going to uh, continue on with Sarah tomorrow. So, let me go ahead and pray. Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for just allowing us to receive your word and have access to your word. Thank you for tuning your ears to hear our voice. God, thank you for giving us revelation, interpretation, and understanding of your word, God. I pray that you, we pray that you allow us to be able to continue to see things through your eyes and reflect from your perspective and to hear things through your ears so that we can we can understand and reflect from your perspective lord so we want to see and hear things the way that you see and hear them so that we're understanding things not from our own understanding not from our flesh but we're looking at all things spiritually that way you can give us the ability to sustain in this world god we ask that you reshape the things that have been broken and shattered in our life and that you just really uproot all of those things that you did not plant in our hearts uproot them out remove everything in us that offends you god replace it with the things that are obedient to you because ultimately we want to live a life of abundance we want to have peace we love the peace that you give Nobody wants to live in depression or have anxiety or stress or post-traumatic problems. So choices that do not lead to depression, that do not lead to anxiety or, or post-traumatic stress. Let our choices be influenced, inspired, and encouraged by you. Let our decision also follow suit. God, we ask that you change our hearts shape reshape our minds and transform our minds so that we can be obedient to the things that you have for us and plan for us dominion you told us to rule the earth god give us the ability to take authority so for greater is the holy spirit that lives on the inside of us than the spirit in this world god you said in your word that the same spirit that raised jesus christ from the dead lives on the inside of us so we ask that you just please allow us to walk in the authority that you have gifted us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And allow us to exemplify the gifts of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. So God, let us influence every person, everything that we come in contact with through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you give us favor in every situation and circumstance, keeping us 30,000 steps ahead of every situation, circumstance. God, every single burden and obstacle, every concern and problem that is in our path, God, we ask that you remove it and we let us your throne of grace. And we just ask for you to handle it. You maneuver us exactly. Position us. Reposition us. Pivot us. Wherever we need to be, orchestrate what needs to be done. God, give us favor. Give us favor, God, in your sight and in every situation. Send people in our life that can help us.
fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. Contributors, God. And allow us to be contributors and not consumers. Let us be lenders and not borrowers. God, just please help us. We thank you, God. We give you glory, praise, and honor. But the most important thing, please allow your will to be done. Not ours or anyone else's. Because other people will have an entire plan for our life. Our bosses at work will have an entire plan for our future. So God, we really, really want your plans to be fulfilled in our life. So we ask that you please allow your will to be done. <coughs> Not ours or anyone else's. Let your will be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, <coughs> it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me tonight. Uh, remember to send in your prayer request to Laws Life Health at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Also, if you're interested in becoming an author, a writer, or um, be if you wanted to be a volunteer, I definitely need some some work. I need some help. Okay, I need some work completed. So if you want to volunteer or maybe do an internship. I mean, it will be lucrative in the future, but I just need to know that you're able to do the work. So if you're looking for a lucrative opportunity that can maybe produce you some residual income, please go ahead and send your email to info at suddenchangescorporation.org. Also, if you're interested in suggesting the topic, I have quite a few emails and people that send requests for um, topics. So send that directly to me at Deanna Watson at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. I thank you all so much for joining me. I will see you all tomorrow. You have a blessed and good night.